In 2017, the San Francisco Lighthouse for the Blind announced the Holman Prize. It's a $25,000 award created specifically for a legally blind individual to explore the world. The organization CEO said, this endeavor celebrates people who want to shape their own future instead of having it laid out for them. We want to support the emerging adventurousness and can-do spirit of blind and low-vision people worldwide. The first recipient was Ahmet Ustanel, and here he is. He was born and grew up in Turkey, lost his vision when he was three years old, and with an inexplicable resiliency, he never let it stop him and refused to be labeled as handicapped or disabled. He did all the things that kids did, rode his bicycle, went to school, played in the streets, but he found his love on the water. And he found that kayaking set him free in a way that nothing else could. He brought his love of the water to the United States when he immigrated here to become a blind teacher of the blind. He took his students out on the water, boating, paddling, fishing, created his own navigational system for his little boat with sounds and vibrations and non-optical communications to keep him safe. He won the Holman Prize because he intended to kayak solo and blind across the Bosphorus Strait. The Bosphorus Strait is one of the most dangerous bodies of water in the world. It is that narrow strip of water that you see there on the screen that separates Asia from Europe. And he decided that he was going to make that traverse, not across as in east-west, but north and south, the entire length of that body of water. Now, other people, blind athletes, had done something like this, but Ahmet is not an athlete. He's just a guy. He's a teacher. And this narrow strait proved to be very dangerous because it was full of barges and military vessels, yachts, ferries, fishing boats, and everyone told Ahmet, you are a fool. You will get run over out there. But Ahmet persisted, quote, with all the stubbornness of a goat. Trusting his instincts and his navigation system. Now, imagine being a blind driver in rush hour traffic. Now, there are a few of those out there. <laughs> That's what it was like. But with his, and I love this, he took his white red-tipped walking cane and attached it to the bow of his 12-foot kayak, like a flagpole. And he went, and he succeeded, and he said, crossing the Bosphorus, has symbolic value. It is where East and West meet. Ancient and modern stand together. Fairy tales and reality blend into each other. It is where I used to sit on a ferry boat dreaming about a time in the future when blind captains and crew could roam through and nobody would be surprised. I want my journey to give hope to others. What a great phrase that is. I want my journey to give hope to others. It's an appropriate phrase today and an appropriate example as this, the first Sunday of the church year, the first Sunday of Advent, the candle of hope here to my left is burning. And it is the theme that was evident in the scripture reading this morning from the prophet Jeremiah. This desolate place one day will recover. There will be farms and flocks and repopulation 
The land that was ravaged will be restored. The people who have been devastated and waylaid will return. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. We have no point of reference, individually or collectively, to truly hear the text from the book of Jeremiah today. Because we have never experienced what Jeremiah and his neighbors experienced. The complete and total termination of their nation. Jeremiah grew up in a little village outside of the capital city of Jerusalem. About 600 years before Jesus. Babylon was the superpower of the day. And Babylon was coming. Coming like vultures to pick over a carcass. And they were looming on the horizon. And Jeremiah's career was one of warning. Gordon was exactly right. He is known as the weeping prophet. Because he writes and he preaches as one with a broken heart. Destruction is coming and my people will not listen. And he begs and he pleads and he cries and he negotiates and he tries to get them to see. But they won't. As the Babylonians sweep into the country, they destroy everything in in their path. Many of the Jews who were living at that time retreated into Egypt to escape. Jeremiah went with them. He couldn't stop himself. He still had a message to preach. He is the one who says, and it's an often quoted phrase, I would be quiet, but I have a fire in my bones. He had this this message inside of him that just kept burning and he had to deliver the news. And so he remained with them there in Egypt. And they got so sick of him in Egypt. And they were so ashamed that they had not listened to him that they stoned him to death to get rid of him. They couldn't take it anymore. He was a plight on their conscience because he had been right all along. It's an interesting thing, though. People that we often stone and kill during their lifetimes become heroes generations later. And Jeremiah would become a hero generations later. With Isaiah, he is the most important voice of the prophet's In the Old Testament. And his importance is not just his faithful, lifelong service. It's also the gift of hope that he gave. He wasn't just walking around with a big sandwich board on him that said the end is near. He was also trying to comfort people and saying, yes, destruction is coming, but God will restore what has been taken away. God will make all things right. You have to believe that, and you have to live on this hope that you may not know how things are going to turn out completely, but hang on to hope so that you can keep persisting on. And that's what hope is. We don't know exactly how or when restoration or salvation will work itself out, but it will. So we must navigate into an unknown future as blind as Ahmed Ustinel in his kayak. Surrounded by danger, threatened by waves, socked in by the weather, swamped by the wake of bigger events, unable to see around the corner, much less see our final destination. When or how we get there is impossible to know. But hope is a fuel. It is the energy that moves us forward into the unknown because somewhere out there, there is a better redeemed as it should be future. 
as I say to Cindy at my house sometimes, everything is going to be okay in the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end. That is hope. I quoted Vaclav Havel a couple of weeks ago. Havel was a Czechoslovakian writer. He wrote plays and essays and was an insurgent against his country's Soviet-backed communist government. He played truly a prophetic Jeremiah role, challenging the powers that be. So he was blacklisted, often persecuted. He wasn't allowed to complete his college education. He spent years at a time in jail as a political prisoner. But he kept writing and he kept working and he kept pushing his country toward what he called direct democracy, which was anti-consumerism, taking care of each other and our world and staying active in the community. When the Soviet Union collapsed, his country made him president. He was such a leader, they just appointed him. President, right there, even though he had no political ambitions. Immediately, he called for an election. And in 1990, Czechoslovakia had its first free elections in 50 years. And Václav Havel won overwhelmingly. Years later, when Czechoslovakia decided to divide peacefully along ethnic lines, creating the Czech Republic on one side and Slovakia on the other, Havel was again elected the first Czech president, guiding that country through some of its most dangerous and transitional years. I quoted him a few weeks ago, and I return to that quote today. He was always upbeat. He was always positive. He was always dreaming of a better future. And someone asked him, how? You endured Nazi occupation. You endured a Soviet invasion. You were imprisoned. After you participated in the liberation of your country, half of it went and created its own country. How are you always such an optimist? And his quote was the answer, I am not an optimist, nor am I a pessimist, because I am not sure how everything will end. But I carry hope in my heart, and hope is as big a gift as life itself. Hope does not mean that the future or life will turn out the way that you want it to. That's wishful thinking. That's being naive, but it's not hope. Hope is what pushes us onward even when we are uncertain, when we have no timeline, when we don't know exactly how long something will take to resolve itself. We press on. Not because we think we will achieve something. We press on because pressing on is the point. We stay at it. We move forward. Not because we think we will avoid the unavoidable or because we think we can do something remarkable, but because hope pushes us forward no matter the outcome. Jeremiah would never see the restoration of Israel. But did it stop him from proclaiming the hope that that restoration would come? Ahmet Estenel had no guarantees he could cross the Bosphorus Strait. In fact, the odds were against him, but he still launched his kayak into that water. 
Vaclav Havel didn't know if the communists or the Russians would ever leave his country in peace, but he kept acting and behaving as if they would. I knew Alabama would beat Georgia. It didn't stop me from cheering. It didn't stop me from listening. I was listening. I was driving home from Georgia, so I had the good grace, God granted grace, that I didn't have to see it happen. It was. It was epic. And if you, even if you don't follow football, hats off to Jalen Hurts, who is a fine young man. And if you don't know who that is, sidebar, complete sidebar here. He was replaced in the national championship game last year and hasn't started this whole year. And you put ten boys in that spot, nine of them would have whined and complained and transferred. He stayed. He has now written himself into Alabama lore. And that's all I'm going to say about that. You don't know how your children will turn out, but it doesn't stop you from raising them right, does it? You don't know where love will take you, but you still exchange a ring and say your vows. You don't know how life will go, but you still get up every morning, don't you? That's what hope is. Not that we know exactly what's going to happen, but we go on. Because there is something within us, a Jeremiah-like fire in our bones, that makes us get up every day and face the world. Hope keeps us at it, keeps us in the game And as long as we have it, we can keep on going. That's what hope is. And we can give that hope to others. Genuinely. It flows from us to others. Because Christ is within us the very hope of glory. And that hope is transferable. It's not isolated just to a few. Years ago, it's been... A decade now, or more. We had the opportunity here one time to do something that was either foolish or forward-thinking. It was hard to say which it was at the time. We broke ourselves financially. Simple Faith was much smaller then, a hundred people on a Sunday morning, meeting in the former Regions Bank building, eventually the Snappy Turtle, and ultimately the parking lot of the Surfing Deer in the New Seagrove Market. Recently, almost simultaneously, my boys recalled memories of that building and how they would go out after service and climb the grapefruit trees that were planted there along the Seagrove Market. And Billy would yell at them and things and tell them to get down. That was also before the infamous Christmas Eve controlled burn episode on the sidewalk at Publix that my children were involved in. But that's a story for another time. Remember that? Well, there we were, just getting started in those days, trying not to be different for different sake, but just being real. We didn't want business as usual to overtake us, and so we broke ourselves. On a Sunday morning, we gave away all we had. I stood before the congregation with a stack of plain white envelopes. Each envelope had $100 inside of it. And as worshipers came forward that communion day, on that Sunday at communion, they were given that envelope. Adults, children, first-time attendees, guests who were from out of town, everybody. And when the last envelope was handed out, we were broke. And I was so proud of, of the bravery 
of a group of people that would do that. And I was so terrified because I knew I'll probably miss this month's check. With the envelope came a charge. This money is not yours. It belongs to you no more than it belongs to the church. It's God's. So let it loose. Give it away in the name of Christ, no strings attached. A ministry that needs it. Donate it to build houses. Buy food for a family that's hungry. Leave it as a tip for the waitress whom you discover is working two jobs to support her kids. Give it to the family down the street whose kids need shoes. Mail it to that elderly woman you know who can't afford her medications. Buy gas for the dad who can get to work this week. Send it overseas. Do what you will. The possibilities are limitless. Give it away. And returning to my sons... One sent his money to our friend Robin, who at the time was battling cancer and was paying out of pocket for her medications. Another son gave his relief fund, gave his to the relief fund at Sacred Heart Hospital to buy medications. Another gave his to Habitat for Humanity. This was after I squashed Blaze's initial idea, who I've always said will be the leader of the free world or a shady late night host of an infomercial. He said, and he was about 10 years old at the time, 8 or 9, 10 years old. And he said, okay, Dad, since we can't keep it, I'm going to give mine to Bryce, <laughs> his brother, because he really needs it. And Bryce is going to give his to me. <laughs> no, it doesn't work that way. Well, today, hope and history will repeat itself. We have in two purple boxes up here, 200 envelopes today. They're not filled with $100 bills, but $50 bills, not because we're stingy, because there are more of us than there were 10 years ago. The charge remains the same. Take it. Share it. Give it. Bless someone with it. Now, what I told Blaze, notwithstanding... If you came here today wondering where your next meal is coming from, this is for you. You keep it. But for most of us, we can give it away. A little gift of hope and a big gift of responsibility. When we did this years ago, the initial response was overwhelming because people came to me and said, you really trust us to do this? Well, you're the church. No single church council or a committee or pastor is the church. You are. Take this as a small little symbol of the hope that is within you and share it with others. Well, it's only $50. Well, what can $50 do? It can buy a new winter coat for a person in Bay County who is living in a tent. It can change the oil in an aging car of a working mom. It can buy groceries it can buy a bus ticket for someone trying to get home for Christmas. It can provide a new pair of shoes. It can make a holiday meal possible. It can provide almost a week of methadone treatment for someone recovering from addiction. It puts gas in a working man's car. It can pay the fee for someone to get their driver's license. It provides a ton of minutes for a track phone or a straight, phone, straight talk phone. Maybe it has been a while, but can you say amen if there was ever a point in your life where $50 made a big difference? So, 
as you come to communion today, Garrett, who's helped put all this together this week, my wife Cindy, will be here to meet you. Take the bread, take the cup, and then take that little envelope stuffed with a little Christmas hope and put it to good, thoughtful, helpful use. And as long as the envelopes last, they will be handed out. Those of you with small children, Cindy Talty even now is coaching them that they are going to receive an envelope today. You can help them make their decisions about what they will do with that. If you're here for the very first time ever, we are trusting you too to make a difference. If you're here today because someone drug you here today, and this whole church thing and Jesus stuff really isn't your thing, I have a word for you too. You don't have to believe in God for us to believe in you. Take an envelope and share it, the very hope of glory, with someone who needs it. Today, more than ever, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter your religious or spiritual history, you are welcome at this table. And you are welcome. You are expected to take this tiny gift and by God's grace, multiply it to others. And I hope you will do exactly that this week.